Top of the morning to you, or afternoon or evening, whenever you may be listening, my name is Scotty and welcome to Chip Time, Season 3, Episode 8, a long overdue episode, but I must say, it feels good to be back. It has been way too long since I have been in this chair, in this studio, speaking to this microphone, and most importantly, speaking to you, the wonderful audience. There have been so many developments, so many life things, changes to the show, and we're going to get to all that. We're going to get to what you can expect moving forward with the show, sort of what caused the gap in content, but let's start with what is going on in today's show. Just to give you a preview, we will be going over some shoes news, the Saucony Endorphin Shift 3, my most recent pair of shoes. Well, technically it's not the most recent pair I've picked up, but it is the most recent pair that I have run enough miles in to give a review of the shoe. I've, I've logged about 40 miles in that shoe. We also will be doing kind of a recap of what's been going on in my training and racing life. I did run a half marathon at the beginning of June, so we'll talk about the build, what happened in the race, and really what's been going on since then. But the heart of today's show is going to be on the USA Championships, which will of course be gearing up for the World Championships in Serbia later this year. This is going to, going to set who will be competing in the red, white, and blue. And I have a feeling on the distance events, mainly on the men's side, we are in store for some fire races, much better than 2022. And we're going to just be covering the top three races that I am looking forward to. So let's get right into it, people. Let's get right into what has sort of been going on. We're not going to belabor this. I'm not going to make this into a diary or anything. The short version is that I got busy. But if we're going to peel back the curtain a little bit and set the record on the vision for chip time moving forward, we still have half of 2023, what do I want to be different moving forward? How do I pivot from sort of the mistakes I made? And how do we keep the coal churning here? If I am being honest with myself and with you, the audience, I think what mainly happened, and this was all self-inflicted, was I started to become somewhat of a perfectionist and I really have some evidence with this. I think we pivoted away from the first season when the show was very raw and unstructured and we were just teaching people about who some of these runners were and we would cover a few events and react to those events. But over time, I started to put this pressure on myself to cover everything. If there was some sort of championships like the indoor championships in March, I felt like I had to cover all the headlines. And when I put that pressure on myself, 
I think there were two mistakes within that decision. One was that if you were more of the casual local runner listening, you may not have understood that content as much or frankly enjoyed it as much. And to myself, it just put a lot more pressure on preparation and different things like that. And really the evidence I have for that being somewhat of a mistake is there have been multiple times, I can think of two off the top of my head, in the last three months where I have been ready to record and then I've told myself, you don't have enough prep and I just haven't made an episode. And so moving forward, interviews, I want to keep doing those. I think every interview we've had, even recently, has been outstanding. We've had some amazing guests. I want to continue getting more on the show. But really, for my solo episodes like today, I just want to take some pressure off myself. I want us as a community to just have fun And I'm not going to pretend like I'm giving any sort of groundbreaking analysis anymore. And I think if we're having fun, and even if the episodes maybe are shorter in some instances, that is what is most important. So that is uh, really the best explanation I think I can give is that I want to have frequent content starting again. I want it to be a bit more simplistic. Of course, I still want there to be variety where we have a future book club and we cover some classic races and whatnot, but it's not going to be just what was the latest track meet and what happened and what are our reactions. It's going to be more like the original flavor of the show was. So monologue over. Uh, thanks for hanging with us there. The fun fun fact, the original title of episode eight, when I had done some prep in, I think it was late April or maybe mid-May, it was after Ann put on that big 10K. It was the resurrection of Paul Chalimo. So you will never hear what happened in that episode, but uh, believe me, there will be some Chalimo talk on today's episode. Quickly to bring up my training, my racing. This is something we pivoted away from after season one, and we're still not going to hang with it too much. Um, I'm, I'm not going to be on every episode bringing up what's going on. But when I do have a race, and of course, when my friends come on the show and have some races as well. It's always good to just share what happened in the build, what happened in the race, and it's something we can learn from. And that is why I think there is power to sharing about training and racing. So for me, my goal was for a June half marathon, so yes, just about a month ago, to run a PR. I wanted to beat my PR of 131 roughly 6.55 per mile, and unfortunately, I had a foot injury. I had some tendonitis in April and really didn't start building a base until later that month, and into May, I was having some pretty decent training, but after a few weeks of it, my legs really hit 
a wall. And I'm sure for many listening, that is something you've had happen. It's frustrating when it's not an injury and your legs are just feeling heavy. The grind has sort of caught up to them. And that's what happened to me at kind of an embarrassingly low amount of mileage. My legs felt like they hit a wall. Fortunately, was able to pivot, took two days off during that block. It did a great job of resetting my legs. I felt like I got them back. And 10 days out from the race, I had the best workout I've had in all of 2023. 11 mile run, eight of the miles were a cut down. We got down to like 6.30 pace and I was feeling so good. Amazing to the point where during the run, I literally had the thought cross my mind. I hope I haven't peaked yet. Unfortunately, after that workout, I ended up just not getting those legs back and I don't have a great explanation even after reflecting on it, but we had to play the rest versus rust game as far as taper week. Do I rest my legs enough to try and get them fresh for the start line? Or do I do some sort of speed-based workout a few days before the race just to get some fast twitch in there? And I wasn't sure which was going to solve the problem, So we ended up taking a middle ground approach, doing some one minute on, one minute offs about four days before the race. I took another day or two off, did a shakeout run, I think two days before the race and ended up bombing it pretty bad. Ended up racing very poorly. I just, I could tell about halfway through the race, I didn't have the legs and Ended up running, uh, I believe, 140, 141. So, yeah, I mean, not even close to what the goal was. I will say the positive things from that race, and this is something I really want to hammer home to, yes, you, the audience, but, but also myself. I think I needed to experience that. Because if you've been listening for a long time, You know what happened to me in 2021 when I did the Krim 10 miler and I basically blacked out and frankly put myself in a dangerous health position because I was trying to run a fast time. And reflecting on that, I've realized that this sport is so much more about the community and chasing goals and working hard then it is about times and running fast. And I'm so thankful that when my legs started to fail me, as frustrating as it was during the race this time around, I was able to just check my ego, stop at an aid station, talk to the volunteers, get some water, bring the body temperature down, And even though that killed a few of my miles, I ended up stopping at two aid stations. I was able to cross the line with a smile on my face, with my head held high, not having to go to a medical tent, and just able to share a fun day with some good volunteers and with my family who was there supporting me. And and I've just realized now 
that that is so much more important than executing times. There's a time and a place for that. College was awesome competing, but now that I'm more in the hobby jogger phase of my life, the the relationships are more important. The community is more important. And I want to push that as the host of this show. I really do. So as far as where did we go from there the last month, I largely took a break for the rest of June. That buildup, that accelerated buildup after the foot injury to the half marathon that I did not accomplish my goal in was mentally and physically taxing, and I needed a break on both fronts. So I think for the rest of June, I probably ran about another 13 miles combined. Very low mileage, but here we are in July, getting back into it, slow and steady. I've been putting in uh, about 10 to 12 miles the last two weeks, and just going to ease back into it this month, maybe start doing some light workouts, and while I plan to run the crim next month, I'm not going to chase a particular big goal or anything. I just want to have fun with it, and if we really get the wheels turning and we really start cooking, I might go after another half marathon in the fall. So TBD, I'm not telling you not to set goals. I'm just telling you there's more to it than just that exclusively. So let's talk about shoes. Let's talk about the shoes that were on my feet uh, just about 25 minutes ago. So yeah, doing some quick math here. About 12 minutes before I started this episode, I finished a three-mile run in the Saucony Endorphin Shift 3. Picked them up at Run Gear Waterford. This is my third pair of Endorphin Shifts. I had the original version in, was that 2021? That sounds right. It makes sense if, if they come out about once a year. Uh, I had the Shift 2s last year and now the Shift 3s. This is a stability shoe. On their website, they were a little unclear about that. They, they make it seem like it somewhat caters to a neutral foot. This is a stability shoe, 100%. All day long, this is a stability shoe. And thank goodness for it, for, for the flat feet that I have. So a few things I want to run through here are the specs of the shoe, what each part of the shoe brings to the table, how it differs from the Shift 2 in some cases, what are the drawbacks of this shoe? What are the things I didn't love about it? And then a recommendation to buy it or try it or not buy it. We will be honest with that as well. So I've run about 40 miles in this shoe and uh, I would consider myself an expert when it comes to the Saucony Endorphin Shift family of shoes. I've run uh, over a thousand miles total between the Shift 1 and the Shift 3. So it, it really is one of my favorite stability shoes, if not my absolute favorite, that I've ever worn. I would not continue to buy these shoes and run in them if I didn't like them that much. What do I like about them? One thing is the, the build of the shoe going with the, the midsole specifically. It's a high enough stack height 
with their PWR run cushioning. So that's the, the Saucony EVA foam that is a great just source of comfort while you're running. But the way they shape it is where the stability comes in. It's not like a Hoka where you're up there unstable. There's enough stability with this cushioning that it gives you a comfortable ride while also stable and you're not going to roll an ankle. So that's unchanged from the Shift 2 to the Shift 3. The biggest change is the back of the midsole. There's a torsional heel groove that sticks out of the back of the heel to better cushion your ground strike. I'm not going to really try and get into the science of it, but it is designed so that when you strike, whether it's with your heel or mid foot, it is going to absorb more of the impact because the midsole is extended than your leg has to take. So you're taking in less impact. Another part of the shoe I enjoy is the upper feels lighter and it, it hugs your foot better. There's a thinner tongue in the shoe and every time I pull those laces back, I really feel like it's contouring to the top of my foot better than the Shift 2. The outsole is roughly the same, which is good. I don't think they really needed to change much there. This is a very durable shoe, good for five to 600 miles. I've taken both the Shift 1 and the Shift 2 over 500 miles, and I would never do that if there was a risk of injury. So these are some phenomenal shoes. Now, when it comes to drawbacks, when it comes to what are the things to look out for with this shoe, the first thing I, I got to bring up first is a reminder that this is a stability training shoe. You're, you're not doing tempo runs in this. You're not doing track workouts in this. We're not setting records in this. And I bring that up to say the Shift 3 does feel even bulkier than the shift one or two. So that's the balancing act you play, right? There's more cushion, there's more comfort, quote unquote, but with that comes just more weight. So it does feel like you're pushing off more shoe from the ground. And if I'm being honest, I don't feel the benefit of that speed roll, the Saucony trademark speed roll that the endorphin series hangs its hat on i don't feel that seamless benefit as much from the shift three as i did from the prior version so that's the main drawbacks as far as functionality of the shoe is i do feel a bit slower in this one while there's maybe argue while there is arguably possibly some more comfort with this one I don't know where I stand with the trade-off. I'm only 40 miles into it. When I run more with it, I'll form more of an opinion. But for now, I will say, I'm not going to say it's a home run. Uh, it's not a bad shoe. I'm glad I bought it. I will continue running in it. But it's not a home run. And I think a way to underscore that is when we get into the price point of the shoe here. It is a $150 shoe. And frankly, this sucks, but it's just the way the market has gone where 
the type of shoe that used to cost about $120 for a daily trainer. And gosh, I can think of 10 years ago when that same type of shoe was 80, 90, 100 bucks. It's just 150 now. It's just where the market's at. Some companies' daily training shoes are up to 160. And it's just what you have to pay for a shoe that's gonna go the distance. So when I say this one's not a home run, again, I am thrilled with the purchase myself. But if you are someone who has not tried the Saucony Endorphin Shift series yet, and you're able to get your hands on a discounted Shift 1 or 2, I personally would recommend doing that because this one isn't giving me enough to tell you to pay full price. I would if I thought the specs were groundbreaking enough to exceed what they've done with the last two iterations of the Shift, but I don't think there's enough there. I still would recommend the shoe highly, but it's it's up to you at the end of the day. Very competitive market and lots to be lots to be thankful for out there. So one last thing I'm gonna get into before we pivot to the US championships is the sponsorship. I totally forgot to bring that up in the intro. The Cut and dry answer is we are back to a mom and pop operation. We no longer are sponsored, but I want to make two things clear. One is the Amino Company was so good to me. And frankly, it was like I had to break up with them. <laughs> like they they wanted to continue the partnership and they told me it'd take as long as I needed and they told me I could really come back anytime to be sponsored by them, but I really mentally felt like I had to come back to a place where there's no more deadlines. There's no more, you need to get an episode out at this point. I just needed to come back to a place where I could just record when I wanted to and just not have any strings attached. But I did want to mention that they were just so kind to me and and wished me the best with with everything I had going on at the time when when I took a break. And I will reiterate and I am no longer being paid to say this that they have excellent products and I still continue to use perform on my workout days and race days. I don't use it every day anymore since I don't have like an unlimited supply for free anymore, but on workout days and race days, I still use it. So if you go to aminoco.com, uh, I don't think there is a slash chip time code anymore, but I just wanted to highlight that we ended on great terms. We might at some point pick it, pick the partnership back up. But uh, we're going to go back to just me taking breaks and us getting to the second half of the episodes. So uh, I just want to thank everyone who's stayed here for this train wreck of uh, first half of an episode. And I am excited to cover the races going on literally as we speak. I mean, I'm going to upload this as soon as I finish recording. I'm done playing the, the metrics game. The U.S. Championships is going on as we speak, 
So I'm going to take a quick break and then we're going to cover the top three events that you can't miss. All right, party people, who's ready for some good old fashioned hypocrisy here? Because in the intro, I said that we're not primarily going to be covering the latest track meet with full comprehensive analysis, but gosh darn it, it's U.S. championships, and I couldn't pick just one. I wanted to just pick one event and really dive into it, but I had to pick three. There was a three-way tie for the event I am most excited to watch, and there are so many heavy hitters in each one of these that it is going to be exciting. So here's how we're going to do this. We're going to take each of these three events individually, and I have divided a portion of the field into different categories. Who are the favorites? Who are the dark horses? Who are the strong contenders? Is there a wild card who can really finish as high as winning the event or not even making the final? And who are our medal hopefuls? Who is someone from the United States that could be on the podium when it's all said and done? And most importantly, because I know this is the internet, there are people out there rooting for my demise. I will be making picks and I will be looking like a fool with his pants on the ground. So let's start with, let's go ladies first here, women's 800. If I'm being honest, this was like by far the most exciting women's event. And I guess I could be proven wrong because these races haven't taken place yet. But 1500 felt really top heavy. Same with steeplechase. I mean, Emma Coburn, Courtney Frerichs, Courtney Wayman, it seems like a lock already, and I'd love to be proven wrong, but that one just, you don't need any more analysis from me. 5K, 10K between Elise Cranny, Alicia Monson, and Carissa Schweitzer, that one feels pretty close to a lock. I mean, both of them as well, unless one of them scratches out. So we're going to cover the women's 800. We're going to go through the favorites, the dark horses, the wild card, and who could meddle. And the first thing I need to mention, or else people will become very angry very quickly, is that a thing Mo is not in any of these categories because she has the wild card. Not to be confused with our wild card category of this preview, the wild card means if you are the reigning world champion, if you are the reigning world champion, then you automatically have a spot at the next world championships. With that in mind, Athing Mo, the gold medalist from the Olympics and last year's world championships in Eugene, Oregon, she has an automatic spot and does not need to compete at the trials. And she did not enter. So she is, I, I should have checked if she was running the 400, maybe to tune up. There were some rumors that she would maybe go after the 1500, but I can confirm she is not in that field. 
So a thing mo, not in any of these categories here. And what makes this exciting is that without a thing, it's wide open. It is wide open who is going to win this one. I have four women in my favorites category. And frankly, there's even more than obviously just these four that could win the U.S. championship. I've got Raven Rogers in here, Olympic medalist, world medalist, NCAA champ. Gotta have her there. Sage Herda Klecker got her there as well. She's run 157 in the last calendar year. Very competitive on the Diamond League scene. Allie Wilson, I've got her as a potential favorite. She's been in great form this year with some sub two performances as well. And then my last favorite, I'm going with LSU's Michaela Rose, the NCAA champ who really just ran away from the rest of the NCAA this outdoor season after finishing third indoors. She was on an absolute tear, multiple sub twos, and I think we we would be unfair to her to not put her in the favorites category. As far as the dark horses are concerned, who is someone who could pop off and make it in the top three, but isn't really expected to? I've got the Stanford freshmen, Roisin Willis and Juliet Whitaker, both of them. Roisin, of course, the indoor national champion in the NCAA. Juliet was runner up to her and anchored Stanford's DMR National Championship. So talented, these teenagers. So talented on the World U20 stage. So talented. Roisin, the gold medalist in U20 last summer. They've got the tactics. They've got the fitness. It's just getting through the rounds at the senior level. You know, they're not in U20 right here. They're at the senior level are they going to be able to pull that off? I just don't know. I think they could, but I just don't put them on that same tier as the other women. Sophia Gorioran I have as a dark horse as well. I really don't think she's going to do it, but as a high school senior, with as talented as she is, got to shout her out, got to root for her, and it would be very exciting to see her make the final. Now, there is one more athlete who I am sure you were wondering, how have you not mentioned her yet? She has won so many U.S. championships. She has won world medals. She has won an indoor gold medal last year. Ajay Wilson. Ajay Wilson, one of the greatest women's middle distance runners in American history. She's my wild card. She is my wild card here because as much as she has the pedigree of one of the best in the U.S. in history, not looking like she's been in great form this season. I haven't seen much to instill confidence in me. With that being said, she's peaking for USAs and potentially worlds after. So it could be one of those situations where we look back and say, Who cares what happened in the regular season as long as she has a successful postseason? But I will say I am on the fence with this one. I could see her not making the final. 
but I could also see her, frankly, winning the 800 in, in the final. And that is what makes this event wide open, makes it exciting, especially without a thing competing. And so the question is, what are my picks and who do I think could medal on the world stage? Let's set the stage here and we'll go from three to one. We'll go from three to one. As far as I'm concerned, I think when we get to the last hundred meters of this race, it's going to come down to these three women. The first one, who I think will finish third, is the NCAA champ, Michaela Rose. I think she is going to just glide through the rounds. She's well-raced this season. She's got the tactics. I think with a pro field like this, she could run even quicker than she has in the NCAA. But I don't think she quite has the juice to finish with Raven Rogers, who I've got finishing second in this field. She was the the silver medalist in 2019, I believe, and bronze in the Olympics. Just a, a great competitor over her entire career. Experience and fitness, I don't think you can pick against her. But when it comes to the victory, when it comes to our roots as a podcast, the advice I would give is when in doubt, pick the wife of the man with the mustache. And in this case, it is Sage Herta Klecker. Very recently, within the last year, she has gained the Klecker last name, which of course is is really a, a simile to the mustache. And we know, for anyone who watched the US 10K last year, that specific mustache is what makes a champion. And so I'm going with Sage. She's got the fitness. She's got the tactics. She's been looking strong in the Diamond League circuit. And we're going with her. My goodness, I'm going to need to speed it up a little bit or you're going to be here all day. Men's 5K. Oh my gosh. There are some heavy hitters in this one. And most of them are going to be doubling back in from the 10K as well. And uh, very quickly, I'm going to say from the women's 800, I'm not picking any of them to medal, but obviously I'm picking Thing Mo. So just got to jot that footnote in there. But back to the men's 5K, the defending champion, Grant Fisher, is headlining this one. He burned up the field last year over that last kilometer. No one could stay with him. After losing the 10K to Klecker, he did not want it to go down to a final sprint. And yeah, really took it out with like two or three laps to go. Besides Grant, the favorites in this field, who are the heavy hitters? My goodness, I've got six others besides Grant. And there's only three spots for this one. There's no wild card for this one. Who are the favorites? We're looking at Woody Kincaid, the former member of the Bowerman Track Club who has been ripping it up in Flagstaff, Arizona, the American record holder indoors in this distance. Uh, how about Joe Klecker? You heard the mustache mentioned not too long ago, last year's 10K champion. Of course, last year, 
Joe scratched after running the 10K and winning it so he could go all in on that event at Worlds. So the question is, Joe, are you going to double back this year? And I hope the answer is yes. Next up, Abdi Hamid Nur. He made the team last year, third behind Woody and Grant, former NAU Lumberjack, now training with Mike Smith Elite in Flagstaff, Arizona. Also, another heavy hitter, Cooper Tier, who is a new member, new-ish, of the Bowerman Track Club. Cooper Tier, last year's 1,500-meter champion. Another heavy hitter, Sean McGordy. Gotta give him the nod for making the team in the 10K last year. Uh, NCAA champ in 2018, I think, when he beat Grant. That's really testing my knowledge off the top of my head here after not doing this for three and a half months, but I believe it was that year. It's a guy you can't count out for sure. Gotta, gotta expect McGordy to be in the mix. Very smart runner, very smart racer as well. And the last of the favorites is a man who has really grieved my soul over the years, a man who you don't know what is going to happen when he steps onto a track. His name is Paul Chalimo, and he was the 2021 American champion in this distance and also a 2021 Olympic bronze medalist. A man who you can't count out from championship racing. And the thing is, he is in better form now than he was last year. And the thing, you know, the most interesting angle to this that I'm just not sure how it's going to play out is if we know anything about Chalimo's racing schedule over the last decade or so, he's always been a pure 5K guy. And it's worked out in his favor because when they've gotten to the final, the 5K, of course, an event with a semifinal and a final, he has been fresher than the guys who have run a 10K and the 5K semifinal and then to the final. But this is the first year that he's doing the double as well. So how's that going to pan out? Is he still going to have the elite finishing speed that he typically has? Is he going to have enough energy to be throwing bows and touching his nose like he always does? We will see. That's not the end of it though, people. We have another four runners who are legitimate dark horses that I would not count out from snagging that third spot. I would not count these guys out based on their pedigree and, for some of them, the season that they're having. I'm going to save one of them till the end, but we got to bring up Emmanuel Bohr. He was so close to making the team in the 10K last year. The guy has run rocket fast times and, uh, sadly, fell on his face at the end of that 10K. He's going to be looking for redemption, absolutely, and uh, I would not count that guy out if it is the type of race that Grant ran last year, where it's not going to like a slow start and a fast finish, but if it's a fast overall pace from the gun, Emmanuel Bohr is the kind of guy that can hang. Speaking of fast from the gun, Connor Mance, will you please 
grow that mustache back. If he does, this guy could win the whole thing. All right. But it's just he hasn't done it outside of NCAA cross country. And it is painful for me to say this, but a clean shaven Connor Mance is not that big of a threat. Although he did get fourth in this event at the trials last summer. So keep an eye on him and keep a closer eye specifically above his upper lip. Dylan Maggard, if you don't say his name, he he will burn you. This has happened before in USA Cross Country, and he's been up there in the trials as well. I think he's finally sponsored, if I am correct. He's with Nike. Probably should confirm that, but a man who was the unsponsored bandit for so long is uh, just someone you can't count out from any sort of tactical race. And then the last one is a man who I would be so happy if he made it. The only person on this list besides Grant Fisher that I have personally competed against, Morgan Beetlescombe of Adidas and the very nice track club has been having a phenomenal season under coach Ron Warhurst, the Michigan State alumni, and I, I would not count this guy out if it is uh, the, the right race. I think that's a good way to put it. A lot of things would have to work in his favor for, for Beetlescombe to make this team. If it goes down to uh, a finishing sprint over the last hundred, I don't think it works out from for him. If it's fast from the gun, I don't think it works out for him. But if it is a fartlek style race where the pace is getting quicker for a K and then slower for a K and then quicker for a K and then slower for a K, aka the Paul Chalimo special. If he pulls those shenanigans back out of the bag like he did in 2019, Beetlescum seems like the kind of guy who could make something happen in that type of race. Who is the wild card here? Who is the wild card? It's Chilimo. I mean, I know he's he's spanning multiple categories here, but Paul Chilimo is the ultimate wild card because I could see him winning this legit I could see him beating Grant and Woody and Joe and I could see him finishing like seventh I have honestly no idea the the guy for the shenanigans we've seen from him over the years he might be he might be putting a a bag of popcorn over your head from the stands you don't know where he's going to be. You don't know where his elbows are going to be. You don't know which lane he's swinging out to the last 50 meters. But what you do know and you do love is he's going to make this an interesting race. So who are my picks? Let's get to it. Who are my picks? Frankly, it's kind of chalk here. I hate to not go against the grain and put any of the dark horses in there, but uh, the way I am envisioning this is pretty similar to the 2021 Olympic trials, but instead of Chilimo coming out on top, I think Grant Fisher is going to get the better of him. 
So I'm going with Grant to defend his title from 2022 with Chalimo finishing second and Woody Kincaid blazing past Joe Klecker over the last 100 meters to snag that third spot. Who could medal from this field? Obviously Chalimo, he's done it multiple times, but I'm also putting Grant Fisher in that conversation. The guy has finished fourth and fifth in world and Olympic majors, and uh, I think he's he's going to have a good shot. It, it just feels like destiny that at some point this man is going to get a medal around his neck, and I really hope that it happens this year. Final event that we are covering before I upload this and turn on the U.S. Championships myself, super fired up, is, I will say, the redemption event. Because last year, this event was chaos. And not really in an entertaining way. It was chaos in a, wait, what just happened kind of way. And of course, I'm talking about the men's 1500. Last summer, Cooper Tier got the win with John Davis from Illinois. And I don't even remember who got third. Was it Josh Thompson? I think it was. And just one of those events where in a tactical decision, the pack decided to go slowly, wait for a final finishing kick, and... It just, it just didn't produce the type of aesthetically pleasing championship racing that I like to watch, and we didn't really get the heavy hitters that we're used to sending from the U.S. There was no Craig Ingalls, there was no Matt Centrowitz, there was no Yard and Goose, there was no Cole Hawker. Between injuries and tactical errors from some of those guys, we didn't really send our best Besides Cooper, who unfortunately was injured and only was able to run in the first round at the World Championships. This year is a different story. This year, the men's 1500 is, in my opinion, the race to watch. Mark your calendars, cancel your plans, get a babysitter, get a bag of popcorn, and just buckle up for this one because we have so many dark horses in this one. I mean, so you're playing with magic. Uh, I don't even want to, I can't start with these guys because we got to hit the the top contenders first. But I think the third spot of this relay, or not relay, of this event is what makes it so intriguing for me because I don't know who's going to get it. The defending champ is Cooper Tier, as I mentioned, but he is not the favorite. It's pretty clear who the favorite is. It is a man who, in 2023, has become the American record holder in both the 1500, 329, and the mile, 347. And of course, I am talking about Yared Nagus of the On Athletics Club. The goose has been looser than ever. And he's been he's been looking pretty good on the world scene as well in the Diamond League with that 329. No, he did not beat Jakob, but I think it was good racing experience. And 
the more shots he has at the 1500, I think the better prepared he will be for the world championships. With that being said, Yard, you got to get the job done here. Hay is in the barn, but you got to execute on the track. And he is my sole favorite. I just think no one else really holds a candle to this guy in the 1500. As far as strong contenders go, I have three others here besides Cooper. Of course, he's in this category. I've got Hobbs Kessler, the youngster, running for the very nice track club from Ann Arbor, Michigan. He has run 332 this year and has looked really refined and more mature from a tactical running standpoint. We've got Cole Hawker as well. Somewhat of a wild card because he didn't get out of the first round last summer. But here is my pitch for Cole Hawker. If you look at 2021 through the winter of 2022, no one else was a more reliable through the rounds middle distance runner in America than Cole Hawker. 2021 NCAA indoors, blazed through the rounds, won the mile. 2021 outdoor, he's got to go up against Nagoose, beats him. 2021 USA Championships, got to go through Matt Centrowitz and Craig Engels. And Nagoose again, beats him. 2021 Olympics in Tokyo, gets to the final, gets sixth in the best 1500 meter race ever. 2022 Indoor American Championships wins the 1500, wins the 3K. That is a bulletproof resume. And although 2022 Outdoor USA Championships was a dud, as the saying goes, he laid a flat egg. It happened. I talked about it. The Hocker Shocker in Eugene. We had an episode about that. But that is one blemish in a cupboard full of gold and I believe this man deserves the respect of being called a strong contender in this year's 1500 and I'm going to put Josh Thompson in there as well because even though he doesn't have the fastest PR in the field arguably the most tactically sound runner in this field the guy has won an American championship he made the team last year he made the final in Eugene at world championships last year I am not ready to bet against that guy quite yet when it comes to dark horses I have five different names here of guys who could really shake this up first off more of just out of respect I'm going to put Simeon Birnbaum in this category, the high school superstar. He won the mile at Brooks PR. And no, I am not expecting him to make the team. But I just respect what this man is doing, the work he's putting in, uh, calling out the young twins, Leo and Lex. I've enjoyed it so much while I eat my popcorn and read Instagram comment sections. It has been the joy of a lifetime, and I'm rooting for my boy. I'm absolutely rooting for my boy. 
Another dark horse I've got, Nathan Green, Washington Huskies, NCAA champion. Didn't race a ton during the regular season, but I mean, the dude just won an NCAA title, closed in a 51-400. If this turns into a sit and kick like last year's U.S. championships did, Green could win this thing. He absolutely could win this thing if Nagoose gets like caught up on the rail or something. So I'm just saying, as far as dark horses go, this guy is like the dark horse. Eric Holt. Oh my goodness. I am such a big Eric Holt fan. Every interview is a meme and I love it because I can relate because this show is essentially a meme. But the guy has improved so much he's been running crazy fast times his tactics are so refined i know i've been just rattling off the word tactics like crazy i probably should get better at describing that better but when it comes to eric holt here's what to look for when 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 we talk about tactics the last i'd say 250 meters what you're going to see from this guy is he's going to go wide he's going to take a tangent into the curve and you're going to see his arm carriage swing out. And it's not the most aesthetically pleasing gait cycle to watch. But he brings power. He packs a punch the last 100 meters. And this is a guy who wants it. Who frankly wants it. And man, I, I am rooting for this guy to make some noise. Another dark horse we have, Drew Hunter. New father, Papa Drew, the high school phenom from eight years ago. And, you know, it's it really doesn't feel like he has much of a chance. But the guys run 334 this year. You got to respect that. He's won the USA Road 5K championship in 2021 against some pretty solid competition. So if it is the right race, I would not count out Drew Hunter. And the last dark horse I have is Craig Ingalls, the fan favorite. Does he have the mullet right now? I don't know. I'm excited to tune in and see if he does, but he's been looking decently fit. You know, not like the 2019 Craig Ingalls that won this event at USA's, but he's run 336 this year. He's back training with Ryan Van Hoy, his college coach, formerly at Ole Miss, who's coaching at Cal Poly now, and just seems to be enjoying the sport more. And Craig, I, I can just say I relate to you from my comments earlier in this episode. It is more about enjoyment than the results. However, Craig, you are the one competing in the American Championships, and uh, I'm pulling for you. Pulling for the homeboy. Who is the wild card here? It's pretty obvious. It's someone who I purposely kept out of these categories because, frankly, he's the biggest wild card in this entire track meet. It is a man by the name of Matthew Centrowitz, the 2016 Olympic gold medalist in this distance, a man who in the prior Olympic trials, finished second behind Cole Hawker, and then failed to make the final in Tokyo. 
and was largely injured last year. He has since left the Bowerman Track Club. He has essentially been in the League of Shadows, where we are not exactly sure what is going on with this man's training. Hasn't been racing too much in the times he has raced. He's looked pretty good. He's looked pretty pretty strong, but he hasn't been winning those races, and he hasn't run under 335 like we're used to seeing. But the thing is, if you bet against Matthew Centrowitz, you will regret it. And that's the big question mark here. And it's why he's a wild card. What kind of Matthew Centrowitz are we going to see in 2023? In my opinion, this guy is good enough to make the team. Legit. He could get, I, I can't really see him beating Yared, but I could see him getting second or third place. But at the same time, I could see him struggling and not making the final at the U.S. Trials. And that is why he's the wild card, because it could go either way. With that being said, let's round this out with my picks. This one was really tough. Uh, I was very confident in picking Yard and Goose. I think the Goose will be loose. He's going to win this. He's going to be fairly comfortable winning this one. But there is going to be a storm of talented runners behind him. And I went with my gut here. I was very sad to not pick Hobbs Kessler, to not pick Craig Ingalls, to not pick Matthew Centrowitz. But finishing second and third, respectively, I'm going with Cooper Tier and Cole Hawker, the former Oregon duo, the former teammates. And I really am just going with my gut on this one. Nothing more to say here. The difficult thing with Tier is that if he, it depends if he doubles in the 1500 and the 5K. He's entered in both events, but last year he ended up scratching out of the 5K as he pursued that U.S. championship in the 1500. And frankly, with this pick, I'm kind of banking on that again. So we'll see what happens, but at this moment in time, I'm going with Nagoose, Tier, and Hawker. And who could medal? Who from the red, white, and blue could we see with a medal around their neck? It's Nagoose, 100%. You look at the world stage, Jake Whiteman, unfortunately, is not going to be at World Championships to defend his title due to injury. So it is going to be the, the Jakob Ingebrigtsen show. And Mo Katir is going to be there, and Mario Garcia-Romo, and Ali Hoare, and Timothy Chariot, and Abel Kipsang, and Josh Kerr. It, it is a stacked field. But even in that stacked of a field, I feel pretty darn confident that if Yard and Goose is able to manage the rounds in the way we've seen him handle some of these big meets like Milrose, and like some of the recent Diamond League meets, this man could most assuredly 
have a medal around his neck. But it starts with the U.S. trials. So he's got to get it done in Eugene, Oregon. Let's get out of here, people. Let's get to our television sets for the USA Championships. I believe the coverage is split between CNBC and USATF.TV, which is via Runnerspace Plus. So it's going to be a mix if you are not a Runnerspace Plus subscriber of what you can watch. But thankfully, I mean, I say this selfishly, I don't have Peacock, so I'm just glad it's not on that because I have the other two. So that is where to look to watch these. But as we wrap up the show, uh, first of all, I just want to thank you guys for listening. I know I have kind of tanked whatever growth and marketing we accomplished before this three and a half month break. But I just want to thank whoever is listening here. I'm looking forward to bringing some more regular content back and simplifying it, like I said. And I especially want to thank whoever just in the last week gave a five-star rating on Apple. We are now up to 50, and that just happened last week. So whoever was listening, even though you saw that this show didn't have a new episode for over three months, uh, literally thank you. Like, I appreciate that support so much, and I'm excited to see where we go from here. So as we wrap up the show, if you would like to send me an email, go to chiptimepod at gmail.com, chiptimepod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed today's episode and want to follow in the legendary footsteps of that listener I just mentioned, leave us a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. That five-star button does need your touching. And if you'd like to join the Chip Time Strava group, all you need to do is follow me on Strava. So thanks for listening, keep working hard, and we'll see you next time.